I have been searching What most people say just can't be found But you always find me out Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Can't compare with what you're been fighting all these battles that I thought you wanted me to win but you won't welcome to the inaugural episode of the following the fire book club anytime you have a first of something there's always the risk that it could be the last so to improve <laughs> our chances Steve and I decided to bring in a ringer and invite our friend Heather Meyer to join us Hey, Heather, I don't know if you've ever been described as a ringer before. A ringer? No. <laughs> <laughs> the big guns. Okay. Big, wow. Yeah, so uh, Heather, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a bit, tell us who you are, so maybe people probably know too much about us, but what about you? Well, um, so I'm Heather, obviously, not to be confused with Nathan's wife, Heather. Um, fun fact about that is that... My name was so popular for my age group that there were three of us in a row in a yearbook, just like the movie in 1989. And I also grew up with a stepsister named Heather, and my brother ma- married a Heather, so I have a sister-in-law <laughs> named Heather oh, my, as well. Do you have a system? Heather? Do you have a system? How, how do you? Uh, how do you... Well. Um, for the three Heathers that we were in school together, like we were right next to each other in the alphabet, like we couldn't even do Heather B because it was Heather B L, Heather B L A. We were all oh, no. next to each other. <laughs> um, so we actually went by hair color and, and we did have like <laughs> we were in pods and so like we were actually in the same classes together. <laughs> um, wow. So um, with my stepsister, it was I was the oldest, so I was big Heather. And she was little Heather, um, which didn't give me any body image issues whatsoever. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) And uh, with my sister-in-law, it's just we have different last names. So that's pretty easy. Um, Although the fun thing about that is uh, that my siblings and I have different fathers. And um, they always had a different last name than I did growing up. And so when Ryan proposed to his wife, my brother, um, he, everybody was like, oh, we always wanted a Heather speaker in the family and now we'll get one. Because <laughs> they wanted my name to be the same. Um, so it was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so um, my super basic bio is that I live here in northern Colorado with my husband, Seth. We've been married almost 23 years and have three kids, a daughter who's 20 and two sons who are almost 18 and 12. Holy cow. Yeah. Time flies. Um, But so the interesting thing about me, uh, aside from the name Heather, is uh, that my faith story is very different 
from your guys's uh could just do the high level introduction and say it's super complicated and leave it at that <laughs> um but that's kind of hard for me because i'm a details girl so um a lot of a lot of my origin story actually plays out in how my faith walk has gone so i'm going to try and stay on track here and eventually we'll get to the book um so first i didn't grow up churched um and it wasn't just like i was unchurched and we had a nuclear family and you know two kids and a dog and everything uh, my family was wildly dysfunctional um there was like trauma <laughs> and uh criminal activity <laughs> uh and uh, just this type of generational poverty that really strips people of their human dignity in both physical and spiritual senses. Uh, so it was rough. And um, moving forward into my teenage years, we moved from Washington State to Colorado, uh, rural western Colorado. And that's significant because uh, it was at that time that I thought this is the absolute end of my life. This is horrible and awful and I hate it. Uh, but really, it's the beginning of my faith walk. So um, long story short, there was a guy and uh, the super antagonistic and immature boy that I loved to hate the entire first year I was at school there eventually became my friend. And then he became more than that. So Seth's family tree actually intersects with Steve's and is deeply rooted in the Church of Christ faith tradition. Um, so as Seth and I dated, I started going to Sunday church with him, and that's really how I came to know Jesus and the church. And as we've known it, the subculture that kind of comes with it. I was baptized when I was 17, and about six months after that, you know, we moved. I came up here to go to school at CSU. We got married extremely young. I was 19. Um, but for the grace of God, here we are <laughs> because we have really done our best to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so also, in addition to being unchurched, I also attended a secular college, unlike a lot of people at our church here, um, which is an interesting dynamic. Um, I earned my degree in psychology and um, have worked at the intersection of social work and community development in our area for about 20 years. And that's really where I started to kind of deconstruct, seeing a lot of the themes of oppression and social justice in groups and othering um, and equality versus equity play out. And I wrestled with what... Uh, what I saw, what I knew to be true, and what we actually did in and out of church. So that's, in a nutshell, who I am. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about the book. Um, yeah. It, it's, like you said, it, it's it's nice to have someone who has a very different background than us. Because mm -hmm. it, it's, I don't know, it, it's always helpful to remind ourselves that not everybody is like us. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We have some similarities, but. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I, I just want to 
uh, jump in and say, Seth, I've known uh, Heather for a very long time. Um, all three of us, really, we, we've all gone through a lot adjacent mm-hmm. to each other and, and together. Um, and that there's definitely a bond that comes from that. Um, I, your, Seth, your husband, is a friend of mine, and I uh, look up to him. And, and just both of you as um, uh, you're both passionate people uh, with servant hearts and also very open, which partially probably, you know, comes from your background, right? When, when you have a background like me, you've, you're, you're protecting an image that may or may not be true, right? Yeah. And, and I, I, I've definitely, I, I look um, up to and respect the openness and realness that I think uh, is something I've, I've tried to, to start to learn, but it's, it's not something that comes natural for me, so. Yeah, I I am kind of like that freak of nature that that comes like second nature for. Um, And my kids have an interesting take on it. My son told me one time, he's like, Mom, you're like such an open book. It's like an open book test. (laughs) And we we don't even really need it. You know, it's it's like (laughs) painful how open you are. And I was like, well... Um, I guess that's good. You're prepared. <laughs> yeah. It's not always appreciated when it's your mom. I, I can understand that, but I, I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Well, um, to, today we're going to be discussing the book With, Reimagining the Way You Relate to God by Sky Jatani. Sky is a Christian author and speaker, co-host of the Holy Post podcast, which I have recently discovered and I, I really enjoy. Uh, author of with God Daily, which he bills as the daily devotional for people who hate daily devotionals, which I, I just love. <laughs> uh, when I read the book, uh, though, I had no idea who Sky Jatani was, and I was a little bit suspicious of him the whole time, because um, I, I he's got a little you know a name I, I can't pronounce. I, I, he was really shaking my foundations with the book, so and I and I flipped to the end, and he had a Master of Divinity. And I was like, I don't know about that. But then I looked at the picture in the author section. This book was written in 2001, and Sky is sporting the exact same late 1990s goatee that my dad also had in 2001. <laughs> so nice. I, I, I was like, okay, th- this guy's all right with me. Um, and I, I was fine with him from then on. Yeah, there's that common bond. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a close a close friend of mine actually gave me a copy of With at a time when I really needed it. And so what I did is I put it on my nightstand and left it there for about three years. Um, but when I finally opened it, I wished I had read it right away. The book really impacted my walk with God. And I, as I've hinted at in other episodes, I also used this book as bait to get my now bait. wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My current, my now wife, but then ex girlfriend, to start talking to me again. So there you go. Whoa. <laughs> there's a backstory there. there there's yeah, a, yeah. I, assume, I assume that it was like it, it made you a better person or something. But bait. That's, that's hilarious. It was both. It, it made it <laughs> okay. was it was both that I became a better person, but I was still good enough at manipulation that you know I could use bait still. So. Uh, here, here at Following the Fire, we're all about taking a second look at things that we've always taken for granted, and Sky's book does just that. So he takes these five ways that Christians tend to relate to God, uh, summarizing each posture with a simple preposition. So 
In the first half of the book, we learn about uh, the most common ways Christians relate to God, and he calls them under, over, from, and for. And I'll just dive in uh, real quick and summarize those. So the life under posture that Sky presents represents Christians who are fearfully trying to submit to God's commands so that bad things don't happen to them, or maybe just to avoid hell. Uh, think sinners in the hands of an angry God, the famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards. At the core of their universe is what Sky calls the capricious will of God that they're just trying to they're just trying to not get hit by a lightning bolt. Next, life over God often attempts to take God out of the equation altogether. Uh, surging in popularity since the Enlightenment, when when we discovered that nature follows laws of physics in a universal and replicable way. Christians in the life over God posture use God as the source of principles or laws to be applied to their life. So you might think of five biblical ways to use your money or three tips to being a godly leader, growing kids God's way, or my personal favorite, the Daniel diet. What? The da- You don't know about the Daniel diet? It's it just you vegetables know, or something? Yeah, it's like, hey, Daniel did this and he got healthy, so we should do this and also get healthy. I don't. I don't want to throw shade. It's you can get your diets from anywhere, um, but the whole point of that story is not that this is food that is going to be good for you. It's that this food is bad for you, and it was a miracle that he still was strong. Right. So I just think it's funny that we're like we should eat that food too, so we can get strong. It's like no, it was God that did it. Not. not it was not the principle. Right. So. Um, but, but lots of, but I feel bad now about that because there are a lot of people who, who love that and try it out. And, uh, I mean, no disrespect, but I do think it's funny. I mean, if it works, it works. If, if, it, it wor- yeah. mm-hmm. if, if I can interject, it makes me think of the, uh, I saw this sermon by Tim Mackey, the, one of the Bible project guys. And he was talking about uh, how everybody like you've heard about the Ezekiel bread. You've, maybe you've seen it at the store, right? The mm-hmm. brand. And yeah, he's like, people don't realize that that recipe he was supposed to cook it over poop <laughs> over, over burning poop right it's like maybe yeah it's like hope it's not completely the same recipe but yeah that's fine. yum yeah so just that's because a... the recipe's in the bible doesn't mean you should necessarily make it yeah another good this is another side story but you shouldn't just flip through the bible and pick a name like for your daughter or son without like reading some context so um anyways um, but our, you know, so in the, what is this? The life over God posture, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes our desire for practical application has led to a lot of three point sermons that, that kind of fall into this, into this posture. Um, sometimes people in this posture will even take principles from the world, like efficiency, growth, or effectiveness and apply them to church things, apply them to God work. Um, and then uh, the next posture, life from God, uh, is more interested in what we can receive from God, things we can get from God, rather than God himself. So at the core of life from God, uh, at the core of that universe is really a consumer. Health and wealth or prosperity gospel is an example of this, but it doesn't have to be selfish. We can be asking God for healing, for rescue, or even for justice. The point isn't whether these Christians are asking for a good or a bad thing or selfish thing. The point is they're ultimately seeking the thing rather than God. They've put something Mm. before God. 
And finally, uh, the, the, the fourth common posture, life for God puts the mission at the core of the Christian universe. So their value to God and the kingdom is what they do for God at the, and the kingdom. And often these people are going to be praised by their churches and their faith communities. Um, but as witnessed by burnout in, in uh, church leadership or disillusionment or just plain old self-disappointment, when what we accomplish for God defines our value, we can be left feeling empty and, and confused. All of these postures seek to use God for some other purpose. And in the life for God stance, Christians are seeking him and his mission to gain a sense of direction and purpose. And, and that's their ultimate goal is just that, that, that feeling of purpose. I think Sky uh, hits the nail right on the head when he observes that much of the work churches and evangelism today uh, is attempting is just trying to move Christians from one of these postures to another. So the, the fundamentalist preacher uh, with the bullhorn you know, preaching fire and brimstone is trying to move people from a life over God's stance to join him in the life under God's stance. Uh, many pastors and church leaders devote tons of energy trying to motivate their consumer life from God congregation to be a more active life for God mission team. But as Sky's friend asks him in the book, if God's spirit left your church, would anyone even notice? Mm. Uh, and this is where Sky presents a better way. He calls it life with God. A life that means, as he says in the book, treasuring, uniting with, and experiencing God in a way that allows faith, hope, and love to flourish in our lives. I found this posture uh, exceedingly attractive, but also it, very foreign to me and incredibly elusive. Um, so th that that's enough of me. Let's jump into it. So uh, what did we think of the book? Do the postures make sense to you? And which ones maybe hit a little bit too close to home? Heather, what do you think? Yeah, um, I so Sky talks about I've been in each one of these postures at various points in my life, and I totally identified with that. Um, obviously, with an unchurched background, I was definitely over God uh, starting out, and I would say, you know, like starting in my faith walk, being in a very small town and a very conservative Church of Christ, um, I really started out with life under God. And one of the things that I have been really convicted about recently, as I've kind of been deconstructing, like, where, where I am in relation to culture and churches is, you know, I came out of that under God posture being extremely judgmental mm. towards um, my own family. Um, and, you know, some of that was warranted because, again, a lot of dysfunction. Um, but, you know, some of the damage that was done through that, like, I'm still dealing with, you know, um, my we just had a conversation, um, Seth and I, the other night about my my mom. And, you know, my mom and I have gone through a lot of tumultuous times, but um, and, and we've kind of 
reconciled to it, but we're talking about, you know, when they visit, I have a brother here in town and they, they generally always stay with my brother. And he was like, you know, they've never stayed with us. And I was like, well, one, we have a really small house and five people. Um, but two, when my mom got together with my stepfather, you know, I was like, oh, you're married. You can't stay in the same bed in the same, you know, in my house because I can't approve of that. And, um, and I was just like, you know, really convicted by that and some other behaviors um, that I did in that under God posture. And, you know, I know, Steve, you talked about in church sometimes um, that, you know, you used to be the leader of the Young Republicans Club or whatever it was <laughs> yeah. at your high school. And and I was just wondering, like, did, do you feel some of that, too? The under God the judgmental yeah. stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, for sure. I mean, the, the, all, all four of these postures really hit me. I mean, the, just the fact, the way he just describes them, it's, it's, I forget if I was talking to Nathan about this or not, but, you know, you have this, I, the, the way your brain works is when you have a concept for something, suddenly you can understand it better. Mm hmm. And if you, you can maybe understand there's a thing out there, but if you don't have a name for it, like you can't put it in a bucket. <laughs> once you, mm -hmm. once it's in the bucket, you can make sense of it. And so, you know, I grew up mostly with this idea of under God. And I initially listened to this book cause I do lots of audiobooks cause I'm riding my bike or whatever. And I, I recently got the, the dead tree version. <laughs> and um, the, he has like little sketches in there and they're actually pretty helpful. And like, I love the, the sketch about under God is like this triangle that says God on it. And there's like the stick figure like squished underneath it. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I feel like what I'll, I'll let you keep going, but I feel like this, the guy squished under the triangle, he's like flailing his legs. I wonder if that judgment feeling is when you like also want to have everyone else be squished under the triangle. Yes. Like, well, I'm, I'm bearing this weight. Now let me squish you with the triangle. <laughs> yeah, and when when Heather was just saying how she was so judgmental to her family, I, I immediately thought, well, that's because you were so judgmental to yourself. And mm -hmm. and that, that's so true because I, I kind of, I was trying to boil these postures down to like, if this, then that statements. And so like, uh, I'm be I don't know maybe I've been around too many programmers or something I'm not sure, <laughs> but um like the the good one under God is if I do the right thing then God will treat me right, or yeah. God will love me, you know, and yeah and I think that was the kicker is that God will love me, um, right right because I I it wasn't even like with this posture it wasn't even like then God will treat me well it was I have to do the things and He will love me. Yeah, that's, it's all about doing the things. That's why it's easy to... I, I feel like all of the postures ha probably have their own way to judge people who are not in their posture. Um, but the under people have maybe permission to... They're a little bit more thorny in their reactions to outsiders. And, and it's because they... I think that they've accidentally missed that thing that God, God loves you always 
and while you're still sinners. And so it's like Westboro Baptist is a crazy extreme version of, of, of this thinking. And it's okay to hate them because God hates them too. Um, but I, I, I definitely agree that the, um, the, the, the self judgment is equally strong and the, you know, that the fear that goes along with it, I think. Yeah, it's definitely like as I was reading um, about the underpasture, I was like, these are the people where the fear of God, that phrase came from. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's and all of these have these little beads of truth and good in them. It, it's more that they, they're just taking something and making it above God, which is, you know, what is idolatry. And that one of the problems with this and with me in the underworld, because I've definitely been there, um, when it doesn't work out. Because if, mm. if you're trying, Sky basically says, you're trying to follow all the rules so that you don't get struck by lightning, but really that's you trying to control God by doing things. By, mm-hmm. I do this, I, I be obedient, that means you're going to rain on my crops or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And life happens and then it falls apart and if you feel like you've held up your end of the bargain which is a silly place to be but i've been there mm-hmm. um you're going to be left screaming at zeus in the sky i did my part why didn't you do your part you know or if you're yeah. really really stuck in the under that you start thinking well, well what did i do wrong right and then you really it's piling it on yeah and uh, you know I- I, it's interesting because it's different as the under pasture and the from pasture are. Um, they also have kind of the the similarity of kind of checking the boxes and that if then um, in the with moving into the from pasture is definitely like that prosperity gospel kind yeah. of feel, you know, like. Um, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And, and like, I don't disagree with that, but I remember specifically, like there was one night I was at a mops group and somebody was just going on and on about, I'm so blessed this and I'm so blessed this. And I was, had just gone back to work and spending a lot of time with people who were really disadvantaged. And I was like, so to people that don't have that, like, are they just not blessed? You know, (laughs) like, and, and the, the woman that was saying this was like, well, that's not what I mean. And I said, well, we, we need to be really careful about, you know, saying how God has done this for us, um, as, as a condition of our faith, because that's not always the way it pans out, you know? Um, and, you know, another aspect of that is um, part of part of my journey has been a chronic lifelong battle with depression. And um, we can do this mental health prosperity gospel where, you know, well, if you just pray and you really spend time with God and do all the things that God, he will bless you with, you know, clear mental health. And um, mm. and I just time and time again I've been like it it doesn't work that way yeah when um 
So I don't think I really talked about this yet on the podcast, but when, when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease uh, about three years ago, three, four years, almost four years ago, um, it's, it, it's interesting how this life, I didn't have, I wasn't in the posture of life from God at the time. Um, I'm sure I have been in the past, but it's amazing how many people around me at church and other Christians on the edges of my world are so, were so stuck in this that they were convinced that I did something wrong that brought about me getting early onset, uh, Parkinson's. And I mean, never, nobody ever said to me directly, like, what did you do wrong? <laughs> like they, they would, they would insinuate things and, um, imply that I was praying the wrong way or, if you're not praying for full healing, you're doing it wrong. Mm. Um, all kinds of weird things that I, I never, until I read this book, I never really put the, put it in that bucket of their 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 vision of God is I do the right things or I say the right prayers and I he gets he gives me stuff. Mm-hmm. If if I do this, he I, then I get this. Yeah, which is magic, which is voodoo. Yeah, right. It's yeah. It's us trying to control the the scary forces, and I the in that under and from. I think when when you're under and you don't get what you want, you're going to get angry at God. Um, but the one of the dangers with four is that if you do get what you want, you don't need God, and you're like there's the danger in in the pain, but there's also danger in the the numbness of. Um, the things in life that you that feel like blessings because they're what you want, but that are shrouding you from what God wants you to to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we have this this idea that it's almost like if every good thing comes from God, then suffering is our is our fault or or isn't yeah. from God. But right. that's you know suffering is is part of the package, mm-hmm. and. And it's, you know, th- this came up with the, the blind man who who sinned this this man or his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, health and wealth definitely has the inver- inverse, which is if you're, I mean, if if faithful people get health and wealth, then is it unfaithful people that get poverty and sickness? Right. And you know, it definitely lines up with even just as individualists or you know, consumers. We, we tend to think that rich and beautiful people have done something right to get there and, and that, you know, ugly and poor people must've done something wrong. And so we, we don't want to give them welfare or we, you know, or, or whatever. Um, but that's, it's just not the universe that, that God set up. Yeah. And I've always been like perplexed by the whole basis of this kind of health and wealth gospel, because you know, Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But yet we're yeah, but he like was just joking around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I'm just like, so where did we get this crazy idea that, you know, if, if we're super good Christians and God's just going to bless us and we're going to be, you know, the crazy wealthy um, televangelists in the world right now and 
it just has never made sense to me. But I am a questioner and have been, you know, kind of a cynic a lot of my life. And um, so I just like, I don't know how that works. Like somebody explain it to me because it's like a lot of mental gymnastics to try and make that fit. And I, I think a lot of this kind of drives into the over discussion. So we're trying to make sense of this all and just turn it all into a rule. You know, yeah. the, mm-hmm. it, the prayer of Jabez, yeah, I've got it. I've got it on my Bible because it was the only black cover in the store. And I've always been embarrassed that I have it, but it's in the Bible, <laughs> right? It's, and it worked. Um, and we, and so we're taking these, these little things that are true, like good things do come from God. And, there are, there are warnings that God gives to us about the way we should live and that, that it can impact, you know, uh, what happens to us, right? The, the, there are little pieces of that, but we, we turn in, we go into this over posture where we, we try to, ex- I'm an engineer, so extrapolate. That's where you've got a couple of data points and you try to draw the whole map yep. um, mm-hmm. and, and make it into a, a principle and then apply it to other people. Well, you know, you don't fit into my map. You you must have done this wrong. I didn't get Parkinson's, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm and and so you know you should try to be like me, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that like um, with the over God, like you know, they talk about all the step by step formulas and whatnot. And another thing that kind of came to my mind as I was reading about it was, you know, when churches kind of go through the revisioning process and declare a new mission statement, it seems like they're following some kind of, you know, strategy or whatever. And, and it's like, is this, is this really, you know, like spirit led or is, is this us trying to formalize, operationalize um, the the work that, that we're doing in the body? Yeah, there's a, a frightening amount of writings and books and et cetera on basically, like you said, corporatizing church. Mm-hmm. And uh, f- for a while there, like the the, the church growth movement uh, was kind of big. I mean, we've always wanted to grow churches, right? But <laughs> it was like this quote unquote church growth movement. And it was all, it was all about uh, making sure that your church services are slick and streamlined in certain ways for the for the for the seeker mm-hmm. and that you have i mean they got all the books got all the way down to how how the person is greeted at the door and like how many people you have in the parking lot to guide people to right to the right parking spots and all this stuff it's like ah this it, the amount of control that you're trying to exert over the situation and that's yeah. that's what all these come down to. Uh, I don't I don't think I don't remember if you mentioned this, Nathan, about how uh, Sky in the book talks about how religion is bit, like people who study religion and stuff consider the most religions like the point of most religions is to avoid uh, what, what is it? Fear, well, let's see. Yeah, it's to out. deal with the chaos and the the feeling that. You live in a chaotic, uncontrollable world, and you can't do nothing about it. Right. Yeah. The feeling that you can't control the world, and and so you're trying to exert control over in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's what all these come down to. And the the one that I didn't expect to 
be one of the 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 negative postures that he's going to is is the four. Yeah, right? that's that the good one. one. Hit me. That one <laughs> hit me one. so hard. <laughs> I mean, I've been taught my whole life that that's like that's the key is to do everything for God, right? How in mm-hmm. the world can that be bad? I think there's a reason he put it last because I can't be the only one that got to that one. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) This this has been the whole point of my life and my community and everything that I believe. And what could be bad about being a servant? Jesus is a servant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the time I was in high school, I wanted to be like a minister. And I went and did the, the whole mission work thing and, and I like, and it's exactly what he describes as far as how the people treat you. It's like, oh, you're a missionary. Ooh, mm-hmm. like <laughs> you must be some like holier person than me, or it's like or the, whatever. a pro, a professional baseball player, or a movie yeah. star, or something. <laughs> right. If you're an acapella, or if you're a missionary, or if you quit your, if you like, I I was an accountant, but then I quit my job to be a X. Right. That those are stories that we hold up. Um, as examples, right? Yeah, yeah. So about that, um, that that actually brought a really personal, uh, story into mind. In in the you know for the first half of our marriage, I was a working mom, um, which at our church was exceptionally rare. I was um, in a very small minority of of moms that weren't stay at home moms. And, um, as we decided that we wanted to have another child and felt that calling, you know, we did the math and said, you know, we're not able to pay for three kids in daycare during the summers, you know, cause our, ki- our older two were school age. Uh, and so we, we were like, we're going to pray. And, and we, faithfully arrived at this decision for me to stay at home and you know everybody at church was just like we're so proud of you that's the right thing to do and I was like so what was I doing before (laughs) um that's that's kind of subtle yeah from from the outside anyway I'm sure to you it didn't feel subtle (laughs) yeah yeah it was it, it was it was a really kind of interesting dynamic you know and um all of that to say, so, you know, kind of was like, okay, we're doing things for God. And this was in 2008 and, you know, the housing bubble popped and, um, I ended up having to stop my job sooner than anticipated, which then changed our healthcare situation, which then made us more broke than we were going to be with, you know, the numbers that we crunched didn't turn out the same. And then, as I had Christopher, um, two weeks after he was born, I was rushed to the hospital via ambulance with a nearly fatal pneumonia that ended up costing somewhere in the ballpark of a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and for wow. years I was like, but we did the right thing. We did this for you. Like we, we did this so that we could, you know, really effectively minister to our children and to, really help raise them up in a godly home and everything that could go wrong did go wrong short of me dying you know which was a real possibility on the table at the time and um and so it took a long time to kind of wrestle through that 
And mm. during that time, I I really came to identify with the story of Jacob wrestling with the Lord all night in the mm. desert and saying, dang it, you, you need to give me your blessing, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, uh, I'm like, a lot of women are like, oh, I identify with Esther or Ruth or Naomi, you know, and some other female character in the Bible. And I was like, no, I, I was the one that like sat there and wrestled with God and said, I'm not quitting until you bless me. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, those years were really, really hard years. Um, but I feel like, you know, that was really a time where I kind of, made my faith my own, you know, and really Mm. instead of like hanging on to like everything that had been modeled to me before, it's like, that's when I really started reading on my own. I started to pray on my own and, um, you know, I mean, wept so, so many tears, but, um, and, and, you know, and really poured myself into service, uh, to the point that I burned myself out and, Mm-hmm. As as Sky wrote about that, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like you, you lived inside my brain, um, and so um, I just I don't know that part of it. The book I really, really identified with, and um, I, I was like, kind of like what you said, you know, how, how's this a bad thing? And really, it's it's kind of that control. It's like I'm doing all these things. Look at me make me feel like some kind of value and um you know one of the things that really stood out to me is after the the postures got discussed and he was moving into more of the width um he said um sky says that some religions assign value to certain social statuses and, you know, at that time, it was like stay at home mom. Um, but I mean, think about it. Like we celebrate 50th wedding anniversaries like they're going out of style when they happen. That's acclaimed and wonderful. But do we celebrate the women that have been widowed for 30 years and managed to you know, keep their lives, you know, in a mm. good place and have joy, um, you know, or the single moms that manage to do everything they need to do we don't hold parties for that and that really hit me I was like you know really the other thing that that all four of the postures are missing is feeling like we have a sense of value for what God created us to be you know just for who we are he loves us period yeah as 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 individuals as the things that we were created to be i i think in that in that four posture something i thought about because it's all about doing attaining purpose through accomplishing things and then you're you're all of us all of us were like yeah this is the right thing to do because our culture has told us this this is what we should be living for um and the that's okay. I mean, there, there are good things about that. It's, it's selfless, but I, I did wonder about like, where does that leave the women in churches that don't let women serve in, in these positions? Because mm-hmm. 
there be there's a very limited number of roles then that you can fill it you could you could be a sunday school teacher or a stay-at-home mom but you know that that's why single women in our churches like what they're just, what are they there for right what they don't get to attain any of their value yet in this community because we've told them that you either need to be a preacher or a missionary, but you can't be one of those if you're a single woman. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you, if you so get lucky, you get to marry a preacher or a missionary. Right. right. You, could, you could support them. <laughs> you, you, you could be you could be that, or you can be this stay-at-home mom. But but we just haven't. But the the sad thing is, those women or the single fathers like myself or the uh, divorced or the whatever. Um, or the accountants, they are, they all have a purpose and they all have the same value. And, and they're, you know, we, it's like the, um, the analogy of the body, right? That mm-hmm. members of a church are the body, but, but a, a lot of these postures, we overemphasize some part of the body. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone with an arm that's five times bigger than, you know, their foot, but it, it's not, <laughs> it's not functional. It's not healthy. That's not how a body is supposed to work, um, but we, you know, we we fall into that same trap. You know, a, a lot of Christians have. Yeah, we. So to go on to that illustration, uh, Seth and I were out um, rare night out, and we were sitting on a patio, and this guy, like sitting down next to us, was like this bodybuilder beefcake from the neck down. I mean, like, wow, this guy is huge. And then when he <laughs> stood up to go somewhere i was like leg day he has no legs none (laughs) (laughs) and i mean you know this is superficial and and i just was like oh my gosh like this guy has no legs like not literally no legs but like they're so tiny and and you know i as you were saying the the body analogy the parts of the body it's like yeah you you got to keep things balanced and you know and really um, you know, train it together as a system instead of just doing, um, you know, the, the localized training, uh, because then you're going to be really goofy looking. <laughs> yeah. And not only is it, is the, is this posture, I think detrimental to the church as a whole, but I've, I mean, ha- having done mission work, I've met tons of missionaries, worked with quite a few, and I've come across people who uh, they've they've made the mission their idol. I think mm-hmm. I think Sky mentions that in in the book, and they are so convinced that that is the most important thing on the planet is to do this, grow this church in this one little place in Europe or whatever. That they, I mean to the detriment of their children and their, their Mm -hmm. marriage and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's, it's really sad because not only is is their right arm huge, you know, and they have (laughs) no no left arm or whatever, but they, they are, they just are obsessed with doing this one part of the kingdom. And like, like you said, that these are good things to do serving God, teaching about Christ, etc. But it's it's this imbalance that 
when it, that's all that matters to you, that that can be really dangerous and hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and it the real important part of it is the things that we imagine, like in the life over God, the the things that we care about, like efficiency or numbers or effectiveness. What if God doesn't care about effectiveness? Like the the story with Moses, where Moses uh, hits a a rock because God commands him to, and water comes out. And then the next time that the Israelites are grumbling and he needs to produce water, he does the same thing without God's permission. And God is angry at him, even though water comes out and everybody is, is given water. He was complete. His ministry was successful, but it wasn't what God had asked him to do. Mm-hmm. And it, and the, in the, in the four, uh, posture, like you mentioned, uh, it's, the sacrifice for the mission is the good thing to do. So that that includes things like your, your sacrifice yourself. Your that's how you get burnt out is, is when you burn up your reserves more than you can sustain. But it, it, it seems like it's the right thing to do because it's all for the mission. But what, but you're not listening to what is God's mission for you. And, you know, kind of moving towards the, the with posture. I, I had never noticed this before, but, you know, even Paul, who we think of as this missionary, mm-hmm. when he talks about what is important to him, it's not effectiveness. It's not efficiency. Mm-hmm. He says all of that is dung mm-hmm. compared to the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And then he calls people to do things like stay where you are. He, he didn't turn people into other Pauls. He, he went to places and said, I'd like you to remain in that marriage or I'd like you to, you know, remain unmarried or I'd like you to remain in this town uh, or I'd like you to remain circumcised or uncircumcised. He was letting them, the point wasn't everyone should be like Paul and here's my tips for effective ministry. Even he was probably effective because he, that wasn't the point for him. Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you said that, knowing Christ is, is really what surpasses. And I think as I was reading about the four posture, um, the scripture that came to mind was be still and know that I'm God, you know, and that, and how that was just this moment of acknowledging like who God is, what a treasure as sky says he is to us. And, Likewise, how he sees us is is his precious, his precious children um, that he would do anything for, you know, sent Christ to die on the cross for us. And and I think that in all of the postures, that's that's the thing that we lose sight of. We lose sight of, you know, who is God and, you know, the fact that he can't be controlled uh, as much as we might try to do that. And, um, yeah, so I just was like, just that, that be still and know and sit back and reflect every now and again, like who exactly you're dealing with. Hmm. I I love that, um, all these first four postures are about us trying to take control mm-hmm. in, in some way or another. And, and what's different about life with God is that the the thing that takes care of your fear is not that you hold on tight it's actually that you let go and it uh mm-hmm. it's the analogy i gave uh, a few weeks ago about my 
my dad reaching up his hands and saying, let go of the tree, I've got you. In this book, it's the analogy of the trapeze artist mm-hmm. and who can sail through the air because uh, the only reason they can do that is, and the only reason that they let go is they know there's someone there to catch them and that and God is is there to catch us. And so it's it, the rest of them are us squeezing our Christian muscle or, or just doubling down on that control. But what is being presented as this life with God is one where you you let go. You let go of the control. I I really love, I totally agree with what you're saying, Nathan, and I love how the move from the control and the, this idea that you're kind of using God, which is something that hey, mm-hmm. I, I never want to use God. You know, <laughs> I don't want to do that. But it's it, it's it's easy to fall into. But this idea, Moving from the control and using God into this relationship mode, mm-hmm. which is really what the with is. Um, because if I'm, you know, back, I remember several episodes ago, Nathan, you were talking about how when you're far away from Heather, not, you know, my Heather, other Heather, your Heather, <laughs> um, when you're far away from her, you will be walking along thinking I, I bet she'd really like that thing that's happening or the, the beautiful scenes or whatever. And so it's, it's like you're imagining that you're, that you are with her. And so if you're with God through life, it's much more of a focus on your, your relationship with him and, and going, doing things with him and not for him, uh, which, which is kind of distancing or over or under whatever they all distance things. Mm-hmm. And I love just this idea of with uh, that that he that he explains. That's intimacy, yeah, and and relationship, and there's things like delight. What <laughs> you know, or you know the these things that that are feelings that are so foreign to me. I know I'm supposed to love God, but I don't know why. Right? <laughs> uh, I, I don't. And it's because I I haven't had those moments to rest and then delight and discover and, you know, unite with, with Christ. Yeah. um, You know, and the other thing that this is what was hitting me earlier um, is, you know, Nathan, at the beginning, you, you talked about when we moved into with that it was elusive and it was, you know, really, not easy to understand and i think you know for the this posture you know it is ambiguous it's it's getting comfortable with with the things that are unknown i mean that's what faith is right you know the things that we can't know or anticipate we just believe that it's going to you know work out or that that god is there he's that that catcher of the trapeze artist um and and I think that that is, um, you know, something that people really want in religion is certainty, you know. Yeah. And I, I I think I was just listening to your deconstruction uh, episode earlier today, and Nathan, I think it was you that said, uh, the older I get, you know, the more I want to distance myself from people who are truly, truly certain about things. And the more certain they are, you know, the, the least appealing they are. And, um, and I think that's because 
in certainty, there's no room for faith. And there's no room to just accept things that could be, that would be. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a black or white thing. And so much of life happens, not just in shades of gray, but like all different colors as well. And that's one of the big temptations that I still feel toward the under God posture as opposed to the with. Because mm-hmm. under God, I've got a checklist of things that I do and I don't do, and and I know I'm good. I'm confident. But when you move away from that and have a relationship, kind of, you know, still trying to figure out what that means, honestly, sometimes, but having a this closer with attitude toward God, it's it is kind of it's kind of wobbly sometimes. Just mm-hmm. and. You know, the analogy to marriage is perfect again, because I don't like, I don't have a list of things that like make Christy happy with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely some things I should not do. <laughs> um, and I know there's some things she likes, but my, my relationship with her is not based on a set of rules. It's right. on, it's on, I love her and I want to do things for her and serve her and vice versa and on and on. And this idea of a with relationship with God, um, it it's at the same time frightening because you don't have anything to as much hold on to. And at the same time, it's so freeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I wrote down about, about the under God posture is the heavy yoke. This, yeah, this thing absolutely. weighing down on you, and it's like a squishing you, on, and and you can't you can't bear up underneath it because you have you you have to do all these things and be right. But when you can let go of that and have a relationship with God, it's like this free this freedom that you can you can. Th- I, I feel like I can. Th- uh, the the more I get to that point, I'm still working on it, but the closer I get to a more of a relationship with God, the more I feel like I can. I feel like I can think for once and mm-hmm. I can see the beauty in things instead of constantly worrying about if I did it right. Right. Yeah. I, I, so I don't know if you know, Anne Lamott, she's a writer. Uh, she's, she's very colorful, uh, which is probably why I like her. She's a recovering addict and she writes a lot on faith. And um, she has a quote that says the opposite of faith is not doubt. It is certainty. It's madness. And this is the part that like really, struck home with me is because like we talk about control but she says you can tell you have created god in your own image when it turns out that he or she hates all the same people that you do (laughs) (laughs) and i was just like dang girl like she just said so good you know (laughs) i just think you know i mean we talk a lot about controlling god but we also try to shape him into the image that that matches us in in our opinions and all of that and you know as as you said as we shift into that with god posture it is no surprise to me that sky said okay so it requires three things right faith hope and love and part of my deconstructing process is like, you know, I, I'm not going to do 
all these rules and require everybody to meet all of these specifications, I'm just going to err on the side of love. You know, like if that's a loving thing to do, that's what I'm going to do. I feel mm. like I can't go wrong with that. And, um, you know, so as, as he was like, you know, faith is important to being with God. Having hope is important to being with God. Um, and it kind of, it's kind of like an alpha omega thing. It's like when you're with God, more hope is created, but to be with God, you have, you know, have to hope. And, um, so it's kind of one of those mysterious things that happens. And I, I just, I was like, yeah, it's, it, the faith, hope and love is, is really what it boils down to for us to truly be with God. Mm. I, I love the, the definitions of faith and hope also because he's talking about faith isn't your you know it shouldn't be your ticket out of hell it's your way closer to god Mm -hmm. and it is that it's that trapeze act where you are trusting that god's going to catch you and so it's a letting go of things and hope i like this too because hope is a really common word in our language now um man i hope it doesn't snow tomorrow he says Mm -hmm. hope is not a wish hope is an anchor Mm-hmm. And it's not, I hope that good things happen to me. It's when bad things happen to me, because they will a lot, I have an anchor that I can hold to. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. And man, uh, th- that speaks to me because, the, you know, the all these things we're trying to protect ourselves from by placing this stamp of conformity, whether it's under or for or under or over, it's, it's all this one idea of, of the right way to do it. But the, this, um, I, I think with God, the, the scary thing is that we are now free to be who we were meant to be, who, who God knows us to be. And it's completely different from the people next to us. Um, our hope though, our anchor is the same and, and, and our faith is, is in the same person, but we're flipping around and flying around, um, and delighting in different ways. And, um, it's so foreign to me. This, this is something that <laughs> I think when I've seen it in other churches, I probably mocked it. Like, why is this lady dancing over here? Or, you know, or why does this person have their eyes closed and their arms raised? And this person is crying all those things. You know, I, if I designed church, we'd all be, it'd be, it'd be a lot of me and it, it'd all be the same thing. Um, but I, I think that we were, God created us and knows us and has a, a name for us and knows what our identity is and, and then is saying, I'm going to go with you and be your anchor through, through all of this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. In the last chapter, it's uh, entitled Life with Love. Um, and he talks a lot about First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. Mm-hmm. And about how it, it's always it's always a thing that you read it at, at weddings, and I, I think we probably had it read at our wedding at some point or whatever, um, mm-hmm. because it's all about um, how love is so important and love never fails and all these things, and that's that's fine, that's good. But it it's one of those passages that I've, I mean, I could probably recite the whole thing, and I've heard it so many times that I didn't, I haven't heard that I don't hear it, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and. This idea of uh, following after knowledge and following after 
the right and the wrong or the right thing with all the time and focusing on love. It's right there. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. he says, um, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, after all these things are gone, these things that you think are so important, this knowledge that you've built up, the 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 fact that you can speak in tongues because you're connected with the spirit or whatever, um, that stuff's going to go away and three things are left, faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. And the greatest of these is love. And I don't think that that's like some prophecy for the future. I think that that's... That's how we need to be trying to live our lives in the kingdom. Yeah, as the here as and the now. In the here and the now, yeah. It's it's not something to wait for. Like, someday the completeness will come, you know. Well, <laughs> you are complete because you have you are part of God's body, uh, at, you know, the, the, the church. You're part of his, uh, you have his spirit, et cetera, et cetera, and if you can focus on trying to let the prophecies and the tongues and the knowledge be secondary, he doesn't say they're useless. He just right. says they're going to go away and focus on love. Like you were saying, Heather, I loved how you, I loved how you said that love is so important uh, as far as erring on the side of love. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that has really hit me over the past years, especially when it comes to issues like, LGBTQ stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, can you just let these people be be themselves and love them? I mean, I don't need to come to them with knowledge or whatever and bang them over the head with it. And I mean that not just that group of of the population, but all kinds of stuff. Whether it's like a church you uses musical instruments or uh, whatever it is, you know, like let, let's err on the side of let, let them have their relationship with God and I will try to love them as much as possible. And mm-hmm. especially as I was thinking about you specifically with your work, Heather, with um, at least in the past, like with so many uh, people who have had hard times, mm-hmm. homelessness, you know, poverty, whatever it is. Same thing goes there. We have this feeling that they've done something wrong somehow or that they need to get fixed before yeah. God can love them. I, I mean, on and on. Yeah, I I really, you know, with people that have had really hard times, I think um, my reckoning with, with that uh, was so my grandmother passed away in 2017. And that I I had been kind of reconfiguring my faith for quite a while at that point. But um, when that, when she passed away, she, she had a hard drawn out death. Um, it was very stressful and she, um, she had a hard life, a super hard life. And I will never forget, you know, I went for a run the morning after she passed and it was raining and I was just livid with God because the thing that kept playing through my head was the parable of the sower and you know how some of the soil wasn't good it wouldn't accept the seed and everything and 
because my grandmother wasn't a believer and and I was really struggling with that you know uh, like what happens now that she's gone you know and I was just like shaking my fist at God because I was like she had so much crap happen to her that wasn't even her doing or anything and that's what hardened her soil and uh, didn't allow that to penetrate and and I was just like how is that fair you know and and I think you know it was one of those raw moments with God because um he wants to hear our anger he wants to hear our you know like dude what is the answer here (laughs) you know like our our perplex perplexities whatever that word is um he wants to hear our big wonderings and that's part of being with him is working that out you know i don't have an answer for that um and i think that was you know going back to like the elusiveness of what life with god is is sometimes it's just ambiguous and you just have to be still and and realize you know i don't have to have all the answers Mm. There, there's a um, this quote that I had quoted, uh, M- Mother Teresa, where she talks about her prayer life with Dan Rather, and yes, and and she talks about he, he says, um, I, I've said this before, but um, he he says, what do you say when you pray? And she says, nothing. Um, I just listen. And he says, oh, sorry, what does God say when 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 you pray? And she said, nothing. He just listens. That was this beautiful thing. But then a, a listener sent in this article from her death and from, in the Washington Post, and it's about how she felt lonely and disconnected from God a lot of her ministry. Um, and in, in the book, I, it might be in the appendix, um, um, but there's this practice of, uh, and, sh- and she had, had even said she wanted to keep that secret. She wanted to keep that a secret, but I wish she hadn't because that is mm-hmm. a part of it. Yeah. That. I have mm-hmm. felt close to God so close that I don't believe it when I write, read my journal sometimes. I'm like, what? Now, come on. That's right? not what it's like, right? Because I've also felt that, so that's the far, completely so far that if I pray, I feel crazy like I'm talking to myself and lonely because yeah. mm-hmm. I'm talking to myself. Um, and uh, there's this practice, this old, old, old spiritual practice, Christian practice, I think it's just called examine. I might be pronouncing it wrong. It's maybe Latin. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe at the end of the day, you, without judgment, look back on your day. And what, two of the things you're looking for is, when did I feel the presence of God? Mm. And you just, you, it's not like, what was I doing right? What was the principle that got me there? It was just, oh, God was in that moment. Wow. But you also look back to like, where was, so that's called consolation, when, when God was in that moment. But the other thing that you look for in the same day Maybe the same hour is desolation. When was he completely gone? And you, uh, that's part of of life, of spiritual life and Christian life. And my my life sometimes that is measured in years, but and, and sometimes it's measured in in minutes. Um, but I I think that that's this thing that. This other thing that, that struck me, because this is a weakness of mine, which is why I want it so bad. <laughs> um, Sky asks some people, and he, he says he makes it actually a practice. It'd be interesting to try this sometime. He just says, what's, what's, your, what's your, your treasure? You know, if, if you could have anything, what, what would it be? Mm-hmm. 
And every once in a while, he gets someone, they'll close their eyes and they'll sigh and they'll say, Christ, my treasure is Christ. That seems so foreign and impossible to me because mine was immediately a literal treasure. I'll take literal treasure. If I get, (laughs) I'll just, I would like to be able to pay off my house and fix it because it's fallen apart and be, feel safe and secure by having a lot of money. Um, and if I had that, then I would want a huge list of things. And I don't think I would ever get to a point in my list where I would close my eyes and sigh and say, Christ, Christ is my treasure. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the gospel. <laughs> the, the gospel is not, is, is God loved us so much that he came to be with us. And that gospel, it transforms people, but it speaks to you if you're, an outsider or an insider or a you know sinner quote unquote or or righteousness or whatever that god will step with you through where you are is available if you're lgbtq mm-hmm. it's even available if you're legalistic and fundamentalist if you're diving into your bullhorn evangelism or you're diving into social justice all of those people that have the same gospel that God is available and and the, just like the, the beginning of the book where the, there's this analogy about this beautiful, beautiful mosaic, but that is kept in the mm-hmm. dark and you only get these flashes. That's about as close as I have ever come to this, this thing. I, I have seen some flashes and I have known some people that, that probably would close their eyes and say, Christ is my treasure. And I, I, I want to I want to let go. What I think is, what what are the five principles to do this? Or like, how how can I be good enough to do this? Because I, I just want to go right back into the postures <laughs> yep. to get to God. And even in the book, you, f- you flip through the appendix and he's like, here's some things that are helpful. And he doesn't say it sarcastically, but I would if I wrote this book. But obviously, I'm not going to give you the principles because I just told you it doesn't exist. <laughs> you know? Right. Do them in this order at yeah. this time of day. <laughs> part part one steps towards, you know, living your best life with God, right? No, that's <laughs> not it's not it. Oh wow. Oh man. Yeah, I you know, and I read that part too, Nathan, and I was like, Wow, I probably would make fun of somebody who closed their eyes inside and said Christ, because I'd be like, Are you for real? I would not <laughs> trust it as, you know, I'd be like, oh, you're, you know, Pollyanna Sunshine Christian, you know, like that you haven't seen hard times. Like, what are you saying? And um, that's that's my gut reaction. But then as I sat and think about it, I'm like, I've actually known people that are like that. Yeah. And, you know, and I could actually be that. Um, I think part of it that comes with that is usually the people I think of that, that are in that uh, state of mind and, and heart is they're old. (laughs) And, Mm. and so it's like, that comes with wisdom, you know, kind of seeing like, well, what really matters in life? And, and, you know, who has stuck by me through the test of time, you know, once you get a certain age, it's like the only person, the only thing that has done that, will at that point be Christ. Wow. It's good stuff. 
Yeah, well, as I probably as you can tell, I'm a huge fan of this book. Uh, I I strongly recommend people go out and get it. The first chapter is short. Um, it's one of those that if the first chapter speaks to you, then the whole book will. Don't stop in the middle because it does kind of plunge you into a valley before it brings you back up into what <laughs> God, life uh, with God can be. Um, if it doesn't speak to you, put it on the shelf like I did for three years, and maybe maybe it will. But um, and it it ends. It, I mean, it ends with like, well, now what? Which is as far as I am. That's where I am right now. Like now. Now what? So, um, and also just as a as an aside, the the appendices uh, do have some great uh, discussion questions. So if this would be a good book to like read through with a small group at at your house, like a Bible study type group, to definitely. discuss this kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me. It was they fun. are. <laughs> it's an honor to have you and it really really adds to the discussion so so great to have you on heather yeah thanks yeah, so next book club what are we reading nathan uh for our next book club we're going to read why we can't wait by martin luther dr king jr i'm extremely excited to read this this book uh contains his letter from a birmingham jail and uh, we are going to be joined by a friend of a friend, Nicole Magloire, who has strongly recommended this book uh, because it's it's just timely and, and can lead to discussion we really need to have. Uh, but she's also committed to reading this book every year. And she says that she wants to read this every year because one day she wants to open it and realize that it's no longer relevant. Wow, that's kind of it's kind of heavy. Yeah, it is that hit me when she when she said that because it's uh, what a sixty year old book. Yeah, wow. And I I know from uh, reading Letter from a Birmingham Jail uh, this past year how relevant his words are. So I'm excited to dive in. Um, Absolutely, I haven't read much Martin Luther King Jr. at all. I know him from I would say from from pop culture, right? So. Really looking forward to diving into this book. If you also, by the way, if uh, people who read along, we would really love to answer your questions on the air. Uh, you can send us your comments. Send them by Monday, May seventeenth. Um, you can find you can hit the contact button on our website, followingthefire.com. You can email us. What's our email? Followingthefirepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, send us your comments, your questions. We plan to air the episode sometime in the neighborhood of June 2nd. Yeah, and I've added a book club page to the website, too, with links to all the books. Make it easy for people. There you go. Just head to the website. It's all there. Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King Jr. So thanks for listening, and uh, we, we hope to hear from you. See you later. See ya. I had been fighting all these battles that I thought you wanted me to win. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. 
Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. Don't you know it's all I have But even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth